Thank you so much. And uh, while we're on a kind of new ground theme, just for a couple of seconds, is my opportunity to plug a, a couple of things ourselves. We have a conference coming up for those um, in their 20s and 30s in all of our churches. Um, it, is, it is Scrinstead uh, at Jubilee Church. That's on November the 23rd to 25th. So if you're in your 20s or in your 30s or you'd like to be, then um, feel free to come along and join us. We've got a great uh, crowd of people speaking and just the whole thing of mission is going to be what we're centering in upon as well. And then I, this is right out until next summer, and some of you know about this event already, but at Ashburnham, which is not very far from here, at Ashburnham Place, we run a conference every other year, and uh, this gathers a few thousand people together to uh, come and worship God together. You know, it's great to be part of a, a wider family. It's even better when you actually meet the wider family, and uh, to gather and worship with thousands of Christians and to have great events for our children, um, a great family occasion is just exciting. So it's my little pitch to recommend this uh, uh, conference to you. I know several of you came, many of you came two years ago, and it gets bigger and better every year, and the sunshine always shines. And uh, it's going to be a fantastic time, so I really would encourage you to come. So make a note of the date, August the 23rd to 26th, it'll be fantastic to have you. And thank you for having me this morning. I think Jim, who's away on holiday, just wanted me to come in to make sure that the theology of this church stays sane and didn't trust any of the other elders to preach while he was away. So that's why I've been invited to come. I'm only joking. Um, and it's a great privilege for me, actually, to come and be part of this series that you're looking at into Acts, the, the book of Acts. And I've entitled today's word, Turning the World Upside Down, which is the theme of the whole, of the whole series, through miracles and through opposition. And uh, we're going to be looking at a moment in, into Acts chapter 5. Um, but I just want to say this. I think the Acts of the Apostles, which as many of you will know, is the story of the early church, the church that pro Jesus promised that he would build. Um, and now I don't know about you, but when I read the book of Acts, I find it extremely challenging. The reason I find it challenging is because I read about a church that doesn't look a lot like my church that I come from. And it's challenging in the sense that as you read chapter by chapter of Acts, you kind of see this description and you're wondering, is this a kind of dream? Is it something like a carrot dangled before us that we kind of reach towards and at the mo last moment it's always taken away because of course we could never be like a church that's described in the book of Acts. I, don't I, I absolutely don't think that's the reason that it's been declared in the book of Acts to describe this church like this. I think it's there as a model and as an example of the kind of church that Jesus is still building in the 21st century here in Mid-Sussex. It's God's intention as we read the book of Acts to realize it's not just something from the past, it's actually present and future. And, and it's a model. And, it, and, it, and we, we need to get into this book as we read it, as we hear sermon week by week, not as some theoretical thing, but as a reality. I actually um, uh, try and read the book of Acts three times a year, just for myself. 
so that I get absorbed into the atmosphere of that early church and that faith rises in me to believe that God will build a church like that in my day and in my generation. Everything that you read and everything you hear in this series from the book of Acts is about very, very ordinary people. People that were not perfect, people that made mistakes just like we do, but had such an encounter of the Holy Spirit that they believed God to do extraordinary things through them. And so consequently they turned the world upside down. It's my conviction that we need a similar encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit so that as a church we get to turn the world upside down as they did. It was an extraordinary story. The impact that they made upon their communities was absolutely massive. No one could ignore this church. I'm not sure that people would say that about the church that I'm a part of. But this is the kind of church Jesus is building today in the earth. And this is the kind of church that he wants you as a local church to be. Everything you hear week by week. I think the response, if I might be, I'm not going to be here next week, but I think the response every week that you hear this preaching should be, do it again, Lord. Do it again in our day. It's not just a story in history. It's a presentation of the church that Jesus is building. And if we're not seeing all of these things, then our cry is do it again in our day. Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 5. And uh, the elders here have given me a few verses to look at this morning. Verses 12 to 42, in fact. Um, So we're going to spend a bit of time reading the Word of God. But even as we read the Word of God, let it just impact you. Let it flow over you. It's actually divided into two sections. The first section we're going to read about is from Acts 5, verse 12 to 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, you'd think that the response to this description that we've just read together would be one of, this is amazing, we love this. We, we love the fact that people are being healed and delivered. We love the fact that, that this church <coughs> has come to do good for our society. But the next part of, of this uh, chapter, chapter five, has a very different kind of response. So having seen the signs and wonders and miracles, this is the response that happened as a consequence. Let's read from verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that's the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. 
But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. It's been quite exciting, mustn't it? Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the, of the people of Israel, and sent, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, and we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them. I think that might have been an understatement, wondering what this would come to. These are people who have evaporated into thin air. And someone comes in at that moment and says, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Don't panic. Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple. We found them. And they're teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you are, and you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, and by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him to the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged. Remember verses 12 to 16? <laughs> this is the consequence. They were enraged and wanted to kill them. And then a guy called Gamaliel stands up. He's highly respected, and he says, guys, before we panic, there's, there's been at least two guys like this Jesus <clears throat> who have come uh, in our lifetime. Uh, one's called Thudas, and another one's called uh, Judas the Galilean, and they both rose up, and they fundamentally had followers, but they both died, and the whole thing evaporated. In other words, this is probably what's going to happen. Verse 38. So in the present case, because of this, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be opposing God. So they took his advice, very wise. And they, had caught, they called in the apostles and they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And every day and in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is the Christ is Jesus. So here we have this picture of a remarkable outpouring of the Spirit which results out on the streets of literally thousands. It actually says <clears throat> the word there in verse 14, multitudes. I love that. Uh, Paul, uh, Luke has been trying to keep a count of, you know, 3,000, 5,000, and he kind of, there's so many, he lost the plots, and he says, oh, multitudes. We're coming to Christ 
and people were being healed and miracles were happening and they're out on the streets, out in the public. And then we see in the rest of this passage, this remarkable reaction to what should have been good news was considered to be something to be rejected, to be wiped out if possible, to be stood against, to not have this here. So I want to ask this question, what caused such a reaction? And if we are going to be the same kind of church that we read about in this passage, I want to assure you that there will be a reaction towards those of us who really make a stand for Jesus. So what caused such a reaction to this particular church? I want to suggest to you this morning, I'm going to suggest to you three things. And the first thing is this. This church was a church that knew that Jesus is alive. And because they knew that Jesus is alive, they believed that the same things that Jesus had done before he was crucified and was raised from the dead could even be done through them themselves. So the same things that Jesus did, he's still doing today through ordinary people. When we read verses 12 to 16, we we kind of read there that through the apostles, uh, these miracles were beginning to happen. And then you get to chapter 7, and there's a Stephen who's not an apostle. And then the next chapter is Philip who's not an apostle. And, and there's a little guy called Ananias who's not an apostle who comes and heals uh, uh, Saul as he's been blinded. And you realize that everybody is laying hands on everybody and the whole body is involved in praying for the sick and delivering people from evil spirits. And there's this whole thing going on when the church itself is a miraculous company of people seeing amazing things happen. And they were signs and wonders being performed amongst them, pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, as the risen Son of God. That was the point of the signs and wonders. They were not an end in themselves. They were pointing everyone to this Jesus who you crucified is now raised from the dead. He's alive. And look, the reason he's alive, we know, is because when we lay hands on the sick, they get set free and delivered in the name of Jesus. So it's a proclamation of the gospel, but alongside it, there's a demonstration of its power. And the people heard the proclamation and they saw the miracles. There's no doubt in my mind, I spent a lot of my time traveling around Europe, that this needs to happen today. In a secular, cynical society, they not only need to hear that Jesus is alive, they need to see the evidence of it. And one of the ways they see the evidence of it is through miracles and signs and wonders. And it's interesting to me that verses 12 to 16, as we read earlier, centers upon these signs and wonders being as miraculous healing and deliverance. The power of Jesus to heal and to deliver. When you turn to the Gospels and you read the Gospels, it seems that Jesus is either coming from healing someone and is about to go and heal someone else. Sometimes interrupted healing someone from going to getting to somewhere else. It seems that on every page of the Gospels, someone's being set free from captivity in their lives through the power of Jesus. So please look with me at verse 12. 
Now, many signs and wonders, please say the word many, many. were being done regularly among the people. Say the word regularly. regularly. And then we get to verse 16. The people who gathered from the towns around Jerusalem bring the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Please say the word all. Well, you're very responsive. Well done. Many, regularly, all. Those are powerful words. That's everyday Christianity. That's what we need to see in our day and in our generation. But I have to say for me personally, maybe it's different for you, this is a huge challenge in my own life. I think my words would be little, occasional, and few. <laughs> Slightly different from verse, these verses that we've read. Maybe you'll be like that. And, and so we ask the question, don't we? Many people do. Why don't we see more miracles? Why don't we see if Jesus is alive and we believe he is, why don't we see the many, the regularly, and the all? There's lots of answers to that question. Could be a lack of faith on our part. Certainly could be a lack of expectation that when we pray something's going to happen. It could be a lack of desperation. Could be there's been disappointments. We've prayed for people. We haven't seen things happen. It could be that we make the whole thing far too complicated. We live in an analytical, skeptical world. It just could be that we don't see much happening because we've forgotten childlike faith. Maybe it's because when we pray, we give up too easily when it doesn't happen. Someone once said, well, maybe it's just not our time. I actually have problems with that. If it's happening anywhere, it can happen everywhere. Maybe it's that we just don't ask and we don't keep on asking. Listen, folks, without getting into all the theology of healing, etc., this morning, we just need to understand this. We serve a God who heals people. We serve a God whose very name is Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals. It's his very nature to heal people. We serve a God who has promised to heal. And when there is a mystery about healing, why some do and some don't, we must not fall into the trap of thinking somehow we've failed because we do the healing. We don't. The New Testament church knew this, that Jesus was alive and it was through him that people got healed. We pray, he heals. We need to pray more. And that is one of the ways that we're going to see more healings begin to take place. I'm homing in on this because this is what the text does. It talks about signs and wonders, and it talks about, it's very strange, even if Peter's shadow was to fall on them, they might be healed. I mean, that's weird, isn't it? But it says to me, such was the tangible power of the possibility of people being physically healed, the closer you got, the more possibilities there was that this could happen. I just love the fact that there are undisputable, God-only miracles that get medically confirmed and point to the fact that Jesus is 
alive. And that these things can happen every day because this is what the Bible teaches us. I'll just give you a couple of up-to-date examples. This happened about 10 years ago. A pastor from the UK was out in Africa and they were showing the Jesus film. And they felt that halfway through the Jesus film, they ought to ask people who wanted to be healed to come into a hut. And while the others stayed outside watching the film, 50 people squashed into this mud hut, which was lit by a flickering oil lamp. They milled around and would not get in an orderly line at all. I felt excited and a little apprehensive, says this pastor. One particular woman kept jostling um, the other people and bumping into them, and I sensed myself becoming irritated with her and hoped that I would not have to pray for her. <laughs> a young man with a paralyzed arm was the first person to be prayed for, and he was instantly healed. And with that, everyone in the room went quiet and still, and the disorderly woman was pushed forward for prayer, and I suddenly realized why she was bumping into people. She was completely blind. I found out later that she had walked 10 miles to the meeting, and now she just stood there grinning at me, knowing that she was going to be healed. The team that I brought with me were also grinning, but more nervously than confident. <laughs> I laid my hands on her eyes and prayed every type of healing prayer I knew. When I took my hands away, I asked her whether she could see. She blinked and gasped, I can see. And the interpreter asked her, what, what could she see? And she peered at me in the dim light and screamed out in her language, I can see a white man. <laughs> there was almost a spiritual riot in the hut. And of the 50 sick people, all bar one deaf boy were completely healed in the next 30 minutes. This is an account that happened just two years ago. This guy was praying for a, a person in the United States uh, in a healing time, and uh, the pastor asked me if I would pray for a precious lady who was dealing with stage four lung cancer. She had been given just six months to live. And as she came up, she was clearly weak with the medical treatments she had received. She was wearing a mask, and I prayed for her. I felt a tremendous heat as I prayed for her. I could sense the Holy Spirit working. <clears throat> with certain cancers, there is usually not an immediate way to tell if anyone of anything has happened. But I remember having a strong sense that something had taken place. Months later, the pastor called me about this lady and said, when she came to the service, she knew that nothing more could be done medically. The cancer had spread from her lungs to her neck and spine and was nearly near the stem of her brain at that time. And they were preparing for the worst, but Jesus met her that night. And a few short months later, to everyone's amazement, not least the doctors, her medical report showed no sign of cancer. This is the God who works miracles. These are the signs and wonders, the, the, the many, the regularly, the all that God can do. Just one more thing very quickly about this passage. It says to us that this was in the open air. I want to suggest to you that one of the reasons we don't see as much as we perhaps should is because we're praying for one another in the confines of Christian communities. We're going to see a lot more happen as we start to pray for unbelievers, people who do not know Jesus. 
So does that mean he won't heal us as Christians? Because we don't need signs because we already know God. The reality is he loves us. And in the love of God, he heals us. And he wants to even heal people in this room here today. He loves us. Someone once said this. I found it really, really helpful. The meeting place is the learning place for the marketplace. The meeting place that's here is the learning place for out there. That we might see God do amazing things. How many of you believe, I want you to see your hands, that Jesus is alive today? Put your hands up if you believe that. That really kind of, it ought to kind of really inspire you (laughs) that you believe he's alive and also challenge you. Because if you believe that he's alive, you surely believe he does the same things today as he has ever done. Can you put your hand up if you know that any time in your life as as a Christian, you've known the healing touch of Jesus on your life at any point? Just have a look around very quickly. I find this really interesting. I've done this before. It's remarkable how many people have known at some time Jesus coming to heal him. I think we're convinced. I just want to appeal to us today that if we're going to be like the book of Acts, we need to believe for far more. Mid-Sussex, Kings Mid-Sussex needs to create a culture of prayer for healing and for miracles on a regular basis. So that's the first thing. A church that knows that Jesus is alive causes reaction in the wider community. I think if we're a church that just sings songs on Sundays in these four walls, that's not going to make much of a difference. But the the moment we declare Jesus is alive and we see the things that he did, then there's going to be a reaction. The second thing is this. They were a church that experienced the very presence of God. It's interesting, it says here that no one dared join them. Why wouldn't you dare join a company of people that are seeing miracles? The answer is that they they were dangerous. There was something about this community that kind of frightened people. In fact, the word awe, A-W-E, not O-A-R, the word awe is mentioned several times in the book of Acts. And it has the same meaning as the word fear. God's overwhelming presence in their midst was so great. Look at verse 13 with me. None of the rest, I love this, none of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And it's kind of, nevertheless, multitudes got saved. So no one wants to join them, but we can't resist them. <laughs> and so people are getting, become Christians, but there's this sense of atmosphere. If you join these people, you encounter a holy God, a God whose presence is amongst his people. Acts chapter 2, verse 43, declaring again similar passage about awe. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders were done amongst them. Chapter 5, verse 11, which was touched on last week, after Ananias and Sapphira had, been, had, had lost their lives because of lying, and great fear came on the whole church and upon all who heard these things. And so if it, the first reason that it was a reaction was because of the miraculous. The second was because of a sense of God's presence and awe. The impact was great, the tangible presence of God. Religious people don't like the presence of God. These were religious people, the Sadducees, that were fighting 
because they had a form of religion and suddenly into their midst there became the reality of a risen Jesus. That's what the church is meant to be, folks. A place where the presence of God is manifest amongst us on a regular basis. That as we gather together, we shall be, as it's declared in Ephesians 1, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter 2 says that we will be like a building, temple, made by God, the very dwelling place of God by his spirit. That's what God wants. So I make this appeal this morning that we will live in a day when our worship times will be so infused by the near presence of Jesus. It will be like a sense of awe, the glory of God coming amongst us, an expectation for more and more of his presence, the sense of awe that we can't settle for anything less. The word revival is a word on many people's lips. And revival is when the tangible presence of God is no longer held within these walls, but it literally goes out from here into the universities, into the colleges, into the streets where people live, into the hospitals. And so people get, what happens when that happens? There's a conviction that I need to get right with God. And so that's what we see here in this chapter, chapter 5. This sense of signs and wonders, but also this sense of awe because it's a church that experiences God's presence. And we will have a reaction when that happens because people will be convicted that their lives are not right with God. And here's the third reaction or the third thing that causes uh, the people in Acts chapter 5 to react in the way that it did, and that's this. They're reacting because this is a church that simply cannot be ignored. So they're reacting because of the signs and wonders. They're reacting because of the sense of awe and presence of God. And then a church that cannot be ignored. And a church that moves in signs and wonders and knows the presence of God simply cannot be ignored. Everyone's talking about them. Everyone is affected by what's going on. So let's go back to this passage in Acts 5. Let me pick out one or two more points from this second section that we read. It's interesting, verse 17, they were filled with jealousy. So there's a reaction of jealousy to these people who cannot be ignored. Verse 26, when they realize that these miracles happened and these people have come out of prison and they're now standing in the, in, in, out in the temple and they send the officers to, to get them, not by force, because we're frightened that the people might stone us. It's like, you can't ignore this church. This church is making such an impact, they're having such favour, <clears throat> that though we want to arrest these people, we have to do it carefully, unless the people rise up and riot against us. I love verse 28. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. It's an amazing statement. Everybody in Jerusalem, the capital city, is talking about this church. We can't ignore a church like this. It's miracles, it's the presence of God, but these people are not going away. We can't ignore them because they're in our face. We can't ignore them because everyone's talking about them and the whole place is filled with their teaching. 
Can I just remind you, as we're talking, this is the kind of church that Jesus wants to build today. I believe in the UK we need churches that are regularly seeing that Jesus is alive through miracles, are experiencing the presence of God, which will bring revival, and then are people that just simply aren't going away. We can't be ignored. We're just not nice. We're not just doing good works. We're not just people who are helping people in society do better things, though we will do all of those things because they're an expression of the love of God. But there's something radical about the church that simply is marching into God's purposes and it just simply won't go away. It's not something that can be ignored. I love this phrase, we don't want this man's blood on our hands. It's kind of like, go away. We don't want this message. Stop preaching. Stop declaring the gospel. Stop rocking the boat. <clears throat> Just go away. Be, be nice people. Get a warehouse. Sit in, sit in the warehouse and have a good coffee shop. That we don't mind. But the moment you start affecting us, the moment you start shaking the very foundations of our society and culture, the moment that you even raise questions about morality and politics, we don't going to like you if you're going to be like that. We like you when you're nice. We like you when you can serve great coffee. Every time I come here, the coffee in this warehouse and your toilets are the best in the whole of New Frontiers. Every time I come here, I just think, it's just an amazing experience. But that is not going to cause you to be people that cannot be ignored. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is really important. And look at this, verse 29. Amazing. Here's the response of a church that cannot be ignored. We must obey God rather than men. What a statement that at every moment, at every turn, this church that Jesus is building, the church that's building us, he's building today, is a community that says we must obey God rather than men. That's a massive statement. I think that there's a danger for us as churches. We're trying to be acceptable into the culture. We're trying to find ways to compromise so that no one will say anything bad about us. I get that. I mean, who doesn't want to do well and be... But there's something about the church that Jesus is building that has an edge to it that will always cause a reaction when we're the real deal. Gamaliel's response is really interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's really wise. Do you know what, guys? If this, is just of, if this is of man, just don't get upset about it. Ignore it. It's going to go away. It's going to fade out. These other guys have come and gone. Jesus is just another one of these kind of rebels, and it'll all peter out. But if it's of God, there's nothing you can do about it. We need a church to be raised up in this land that is like that. It's so of God, there's nothing that we, it's unstoppable. And when you read the rest of Acts, it's interesting, Gamaliel just throws this out. Well, what's the answer? Well, you read the rest of Acts, and here we are 2,000 plus years later. I think the answer is, it is of God. It was never man's idea. It was never a, a thing that some, some prophet in the Middle East then died and the whole thing died out. We're here all over the globe with billions of people who follow Jesus 
because it's the real deal. And you can't ignore that. It's not going away. Sometimes we read stats in this country of the declining church, and there will come a time in our lifetime when there will be no church. It's just not going to happen. Because Jesus is alive, and there are miracles that are happening, and the sense of God's presence is amongst us, and when that happens, we will not be ignored as they were not ignored. So what's the solution? The solution is persecution. The solution is to put people in prison. The solution is to try and dampen this thing, even if it is of God, try and push it down underneath so it's not there anymore. Do you know the worst thing you can do for something's of God is to try and dampen it? The worst thing you can do for the church is to persecute the church. It's like a seed that's on the surface of the soil. And if we just walk away and leave it, it'll just... But the moment we try to push it down, it'll just produce more life. It's the worst thing that anyone can do to the church that cannot be ignored to try and wipe it out. I love this verse in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, where because of the persecution, everyone was scattered, and they thought, we'll persecute them. They then got scattered, and the thing that they were containing just went everywhere. It's the worst thing they could possibly do to persecute the church. Folks, and I'm coming to an end, Christianity thrives where the church full of the Spirit, proclaiming the gospel with signs and wonders and miracles, and seeing massive growth, then gets opposition and gets persecuted. And the result of that is more growth and more miracles and more spreading out. Now, we live in a day, most of us, when we've never known persecution. We've never known genuine attack, as it were, to the limit that people get thrown in prison, etc., etc. And I don't think there's anyone in this room that wants to pray, Lord, please, can we get persecuted? Please. Can we just, we're not happy with our elders. Can they all be put in prison for a period of time? That would be really great. You know, none of us are praying, can we suffer for what we live? That would be a strange thing. But listen, folks, the consequences of verses 12 to 16 are verses 17 to 42. And I've come to the place where I no longer believe you can have one without the other. I literally believe that's going to happen. I'm not asking for it. We're cowards. We don't want it. But if we see the signs and wonders and the presence of God and we preach this gospel as it's meant to be preached and we proclaim it, surely the consequences must include that there will be opposition and there'll be persecution, and someone's going to try and put the lights out, as that's the theme of our worship this morning. You cannot put the light of the world out. Jesus said, you will be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. There's a massive impact that's made. So as we march on, believing for revival, trusting in God, there will, like they had in the early church, be opposition. They turn the world upside down through miracles, but they turn the the world upside down through being prepared to face opposition that only cause more growth and more miracles. The early church had remarkable, miraculous breakthrough, but they also had constant persecution all the way through their lives. Let me finish with this. Verse 40 is remarkable. 
They called them the apostles. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. They just ignored them. <laughs> they let them go, and what is their response? Rejoicing that they've been counted worthy to suffer for the dishonor of this name, and they went straight back in the temple and just carried on as nothing had happened because they feared God rather than fearing man. We as a church need to fear God rather than man and fear God rather than consequences of what man will do to us. I'm going to finish with this. Terry and Wendy, who were here this morning with, with me and Liz and a load of other leaders just uh, two weeks ago in Cyprus where we gathered together all the New Frontiers apostolic kind of people across the globe. We meet together once a year. And into that mix, we had some delight, two delightful couples from China who were with us and shared testimony and shared news. And we've met them before. We're building a relationship with them. They're just wonderful, wonderful people. And they testified again to this. And we've heard it before that literally 10,000 people a day in China are coming to Jesus right now. It's possibly one of the biggest revivals that's ever happened. And with that, there's stories of miracles and amazing things that happen and people getting miraculously healed and faith growing. And guess what? There are also stories of remarkable suffering and persecution and imprisonment. One of the pastors we were talking to had almost been put in prison not long before uh, they were supposed to come to this conference, but through miracles it hadn't happened. Is persecution coming to the church in Europe? I think it probably is. At the moment, it's all to do with what you believe morally about things. No one's telling us you can't preach this gospel, but there may come a day when that happens too. And at that moment, the church that Jesus is building will not only move in more signs and wonders, will not only see more growth, not only see more of the presence of God amongst us, but inevitably we'll see opposition. And understand this, that if and when it comes, the result is God will give us more boldness so that we can proclaim more of what we believe and we'll see more miracles and we see more signs and wonders and growth as a response. Can we stand to our feet, please?